Well, we're getting ready to go into the new year. So we're not having service next Wednesday night. So I'm giving you a commercial for what we're going to do in the coming year. And that is we are going to do a study in the book of Philippians. And we're going to go through that. Now, a lot of you worked really, really hard when we did the study in Revelation. What I am hoping and praying is that you'll do that in the book of Philippians. Um, I know I've shared this before, but whenever I go through a time in my life where I'm frustrated or down, I will take 31 days and do this. I will read one chapter a day in Proverbs. And I will read one chapter a day in Philippians. And then on the last day, on the 31st day, I will finish Proverbs because there's 31 verses. And I will read the last two chapters of Philippians. What will happen in that month's time is I will have read all the Proverbs, which are all practical advice, all practical things. And I will have read through Philippians eight times. Why is that important? Because Philippians is all about joy. Joy is something that, as I look around the world, we talk a lot about peace, and we certainly need that, and I'm going to talk about that Sunday morning. The world needs joy. Desperately needs joy. It's been probably close to 20 years ago that some two things happened. They were about three years apart. The first one about 20, last one probably about 18. Um, I went to a campground where we had camp meeting, obviously. And they had all these pictures up from camp meetings past. And I started looking at them. And on about the third or fourth one, I started noticing something. So I went back and looked at the first one and went all the way through. Now, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that were at these camp meetings. I mean, the pictures were, I mean, just massive numbers of people. You know what I noticed? In not one picture was anybody smiling. Not in one picture. And then I thought, some of these people are saying, well, why can't we get people to go to camp meeting? Look at the pictures. I think it will answer the question. If you're not happy to be there, What is going to propel the next generation to want to be there? Um, We created a lot of drug addicts in the church. You know that, right? A lot of drug addicts. Because we drug them Sunday morning to Sunday school. And we drug them Sunday night to Sunday night worship. And we drug them Wednesday night to Wednesday night service. And they became drug addicts. They were just drugged to church. And those kids thought, when I get old enough, I'm not going anymore. See, we're supposed to want to get together. Yeah. We're supposed to want to be there. But somewhere along the way, we lost that want to be there. And it was because, in my opinion, joy started leaving the building. I knew a lot of people growing up that were going to heaven. They weren't happy about it, but they were going to heaven. I, I said this one time. <laughs> Um, and I'll say where it was. I was pastoring in Elkhart, Kansas. And I got up and preached on Sunday morning, and I went home, and I sat down and said, do these people ever have a good week? Is there ever something that's not a tragedy for them? Every week, I look at faces that aren't smiling. Every week, I look at faces that are just, oh, we're kind of there, but our minds are somewhere. Every week. Why can't just once they have a good week? And I'm an energetic, joyous person. There is nothing that could bum me out more than preaching. (laughs) Because I was like, this is what I've lived all week to do. This is what I've been most excited to do all week. And nobody's happy to be here. 10% of the town, by the way, was in our churches in them this morning, sometimes more. Um, There were times we had 250 to 300 people. The town had 2,000 people. 
So we had a huge, huge group of people from that town, and none of them were happy to be there. I went back later as a youth pastor, and they started saying, well, we don't understand why we lost so many people. And there was finally a day that I said, I told y'all 10 years ago this was going to happen. If you're not happy about being here, the next generation ain't going. They're not going to force themselves to go. They're not going to make themselves go. The other thing that happened was I was at a pastor's conference. And the guy who was leading it pastored a really large church. And they asked him, how do you disciple your new Christians? And he said, I keep them away from the old ones. And we all laughed. But after we laughed, you could kind of sense, because it was all pastors, you kind of sense it went from laughter to wanting to cry. Because we all felt that way. Most churches, you're not going to have young pastors that go to established churches. Um, it is happening less and less now. And as time goes on, it's going to be more and more that way. Because they don't want to have to break up hard ground all the time they're just going to want to start a church or plant a church and because most denominations are into church planting right now then what is happening is churches like ours churches like barnstall churches like hominy in cleveland and so forth eventually they will just go by the wayside they won't even try anymore because they'll say what's the point it's never going to do anything let's just let it go and we'll plant new churches that may actually be excited about something. While I think that that is a wrong approach, and while I disagree with that approach, I do see the logic behind it. Because it is very hard to get an established church to recapture joy. That's why the first sentence, the first scripture on there, says, restore to me the what of your salvation. Now, the context of Psalm 51 is David has committed sin. David has cheated with another man's wife and then had that man murdered to cover it up. He is confronted by the prophet, told what he did. And throughout this scripture, he confesses. Against you I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. He goes through all of that. But then he says. Restore to me. The joy. Of your salvation. All of us need to pray that prayer. Even if we're not in known sin. That was really good. All of us need to pray that prayer, even if we're not in known sin, because there are times we lose the joy of salvation. We don't necessarily lose salvation, but there's no joy in it, which is pretty sad because part of the fruit of the spirit is joy. So here's the thing. You can't be spirit filled if you don't have joy. That's one of the markers. You're not spirit filled if you don't have joy. Because that is something he planted in us. That's something he grows in us. That's something he develops in us. Is that spirit of joy. Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord when? In Philippians 4. 4. <laughs> Not just when we feel good. Not just when it's going our way. So said, now you're supposed to rejoice always. There's always something to be joyous about. And then he knew, okay, they're not going to like that I said that. So I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. I love that scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. He knew that was going to lead to some people saying, oh, but you don't know what I've been through, Brother Paul. You don't know what it's been like. Okay, I'm going to say it again. <coughs> Rejoice. He's writing that from prison. If Paul can be in prison saying rejoice in the Lord always, then we've got to figure out a way to rejoice in our presence. 
and to rejoice in our bondage and to rejoice when times are not that great for us because that is going to happen. But we've got to learn to rejoice anyway. I love the scripture in Nehemiah. To give you a backdrop, they're rebuilding things and all of that. They read from the book of the law and the people start crying. I mean, they are bawling, wailing, crying. (laughs) And the preacher gets up and says, wait, 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 wait. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve. In some translations, it says, be ye not sorrowful. I'm going to make a bold claim here. I think it would be good on Sunday mornings to take a Sabbath from sorrow. I really do. It doesn't mean that we don't pray during the week. It doesn't mean that we don't carry burdens and so forth. Um, But I would love to try something in 2018. I'm not going to mention one downer prayer request on a Sunday. I'm not going to pray about one sick person on a Sunday. I'm not going to take the focus off of the joy of the Lord. Now, there's going to be exceptions to that. I know that before it even starts. But I want to set as a rule, this is a day to celebrate. It's why we switched, by the way, the day that we worshipped on. Originally, we worshipped on Saturday. That's the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath. We now worship on the first day. Why? Because it's the most joyous day in Christian history. Sunday's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And we say, well, we're not going to worship on Saturday. Saturday is kind of sad. Saturday's stale. That's why it cracks me up when people are like, well, what do you think of blue law? Um, and I don't know if any of you grew up in or, or had that around here. We had it in cities that I was in. Blue law meant like stores and restaurants and stuff weren't open on Sunday. They say they're dishonoring the Sabbath. And I'm not, I'm like, no, they're not. They were open yesterday. Saturday's the Sabbath. In fact, in Spanish, Saturday is Sabado, which means Sabbath. <laughs> they worshiped on the Sabbath. So, you know, technically, if you're going to honor what you're telling us to honor, then we need to close stores on Saturday and have them open on Sunday. Um, but the point is that. It's not about putting some sort of law on people. It's about an authentic celebration of a risen Savior. He said, this day is holy to the Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord. Is your strength. The Bible says a cheerful heart does good like a medicine. Joy strengthens us. Joy empowers us. Joy draws people to us. Joy is one of the most incredible weapons we have against the devil. Because if he can't get us depressed, what's he going to do? If he can't make us sad, what's he going to do? If he can't defeat and discourage us, what's he going to do when we can smile in the face of it and say, I may not like how this turns out and I may not like what I'm going through. But I ain't going down with it. I may not like how it's going in my life right now. It's not a denial of the realities that sometimes life is terrible. Okay. Life is not easy. I love M. Scott Peck's words at the beginning of his book, The Road Less Traveled. He said, life is hard. Once we come to accept that, it becomes less hard. Once we just realize, hey, life is hard sometimes. There are times it is not fun, but I serve a God for whom nothing is impossible. So when I'm sitting in the middle of that impossible situation, I can just think, wow, this is cool. I am in the perfect spot for a miracle. I'm in the perfect spot for a miracle. If it was possible, I wouldn't need a miracle. But right now, I'm in the perfect spot for God to do something that just blows my mind. Because I'm out of options. 
I'm out of resources. I have literally tried everything I know to do, and it's not working. So now I can just sit back and say, all right, this is what you do best. So it's you. It's all you. Joy is strength. Joy is an incredible thing. The psalmist said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We get to go to church today. We get to go hang out with God's people today. It's like I was talking about Sunday. I liked this point, even if nobody else did. We got to stop telling people we miss you and start telling them you're missing something. That's right. You're missing something, man. Yeah. You're staying at home watching a TV program that can't help you. Yeah. We just sang to a God who can do anything. Yes. We just prayed to a God who can do anything. Yes. We just heard a message about a God who can do anything and you chose to stay home. You're missing something. Yes. That's right. Well, I'll go back, but they, they just didn't do this and they didn't do that. And, and nobody ever calls me and nobody ever visits me. You had a chance to call on God. He can do way for, more for you than every single one of us visiting you this week. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's just the truth. That we could all go visit. Some, we could all go and take something to somebody. And it wouldn't even be that much compared to what God can do. Now, I'm not saying in that, that we ignore people and we don't care about people because we do. But sometimes I think we chase the complainers and the whiners at the expense of the winners and the joyous people. What I noticed in church growing up, and I don't know, and again, this is only my experience because I think everybody's experience is different. I was only in three churches. That's not that many, considering there's 40,000 denominations or or 40,000, I think 40,000 churches in North America. That doesn't even include the rest of the world. Um, So that's not a very broad spectrum. Three churches is three churches. But what I noticed in my three churches was we always get to get the loud people quieter, but we never got to get the quiet people louder. We've always got to get the joyous people to calm down. But we don't ever mess with these people because silence was viewed as sacred. And stoic was viewed as steady. That can be true. Let me tell you what else can be true. Silence can just be sour. There is nothing sacred about this. Okay, that's sour. That's not sacred, right? Yeah. <laughs> and stoic can just be stubborn. A lot of times we say somebody is so steady, they're just solid. No, they're stubborn. Now, there are times I'm solid. I'll throw myself under the bus on this. There are times I'm solid. Those are good times. There's times I'm stubborn. That's not as good. There are times I'm digging in my heels. It has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with what's best. I'm just stubborn and want to keep doing it this way. So we kind of throw a mantle of sanctity on something that God doesn't say. I would, you know, just today, I'm reading it in Scripture, and I cracked up because I was, I was going to lead this tonight, and I thought, I can't believe the number of times joy is in the section of Scripture that I'm reading. Shout to the Lord with joy, all the earth. (laughs) We used to actually do that. But then somewhere along the way, that picture started circling our halls of people not smiling. And people not happy. Some of us grew up with them. Some of us had pastors that were one of them. We had that experience where we were told over and over and over again, well, you've got to, as you get more experience, you'll see that sometimes it's just not that joyous and so forth. 
And this is what the guy was getting at when he said, I keep them away from the old ones. We have a bad habit of throwing water onto the fire instead of fuel. Yes. A kid gets saved, he's excited. A kid gets saved, she's excited. We're always trying to tone them down. And teach them how to be proper church folk. I want radical followers of Christ. Whatever that means. I don't really care that my son is a proper church person. I hope he's always involved in the body of Christ. Don't get me wrong. I hope he's always worshiping somewhere with a group of people because it's biblical. But I'm not worried about him being a proper church man. I want him to radically follow Christ when it makes no sense. To where when he calls me and tells me what he's about to do because he believes God led him to do it. That I can be the one to say. That sounds absolutely ridiculous and careless. So you probably need to do it. Because only God would tell you to do something that that crazy that off the wall. I'm trusting that you heard from God. And I'm going to support you 100%. And when it starts going bad, I am going to be the one that says, I told you so. As long as you remember what I told you. If God brought you to it, God will bring you through it. That's the only I told you so you will ever get from your dad. If God brought us to it. Now, there are times I haven't gotten through it because God didn't bring me to it. I got to look at that and say that was all me. It didn't work because it was all me. But if God led me to something, he'll bring me through it. He may scare me out of my mind before he brings me through it, but he will bring me through it. Let me give you three thoughts about joy. Number one, joy is outrageous. Joy is outrageous. (laughs) It makes... No logical sense to be joyous. I used to say you can watch five minutes of the news and know that joy makes no sense. I can now say you can watch two minutes of the news. (laughs) They usually used to kind of ease into it. Now it just starts off with horrible stuff. I mean, every night, the first story is the most tragic story. By the way, that kind of, uh, I'll throw this in for free. We're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We're to be transformed. So the very first thing that somebody should hear in church is something positive. Because the first thing we always hear in the pattern of the world is something negative. That's hard, by the way. That's really, really difficult. But that's a goal that I'm setting for my life to realize, wait, if I'm not supposed to be conformed to this, then I've got to look at it a different way. And it's outrageous because it makes no sense. In a world where we kill each other and don't even know why. I mean, if you start thinking about it, we all there's always been murder. We know that. There's always been war. We know that. But in the past, we could at least make some peace about um, this was a jealous husband who lost it and killed his wife, or this was a jealous lady that killed her husband's girlfriend or and even though we knew it was still wrong at least there was something that made sense it was like okay at least there is some rationale in the midst of this crazy behavior now people just kill just kill Uh, when was it monday night anthony had a uh, band concert And this thought came to my mind. 
because there were two guys on the roof of Walmart. I had to run into Walmart. Actually, I went in to do some Christmas shopping, and and I saw these two guys on the roof. And immediately, I started kind of looking around and immediately thought, I wonder if they're up there to just open fire on people. Mm. And I took a couple steps, and I thought, 10 years ago, that's not what I would have thought. I mean, you know, not even going way back in my life. 10 years ago, I really wouldn't have thought about that. I may have thought that's odd that they're up there, but I would have assumed they were working on something or assumed they were doing something. As soon as I looked up, my mind goes to this horrible thought of what might be happening. Now, I immediately put myself in check. I was like, you got to stop assuming the worst. And yet at the same time, it wouldn't have shocked me anymore. Because that kind of nonsense and that craziness goes on every day, it seems like. And that's why joy is outrageous. Because you see, I noticed other people were looking up there and thinking the same thing I was. And (laughs) there's nothing funnier than seeing somebody try to get a little bit quicker as they go into Walmart. (laughs) But I saw these people trying to, to move forward. And I started smiling. And I thought, you know, I'm not old. But I'm old enough to where I'm not running into Walmart. You know, I'll be the slow-moving target so other people can get away if that's what's going down. Truth is, so what if they kill me? (laughs) I would never have anything to worry about again in my life. So in a way, they not that I want to die, because I don't. But what can you do to me? I'm going to heaven. So really, it really is not a big deal to me. That's why I'm saying joy is outrageous. Because people started looking at me smiling, and then they took their attention off of that and thought I was the psycho. It's like, the smiling guy down here is in on it. Whatever's going down. (laughs) I can't count the number of times in the last five years that I'll just be walking through somewhere, I'll be going somewhere, that something will trigger a memory or something, and I'll smile or sometimes chuckle just because it triggers a memory, and then somebody will say, what's your problem? Like, wait a second, laughter is now a problem? You know, if if you look bitter and you look angry, everybody's okay with that. But if you smile, what is wrong with you? Because it's outrageous. It doesn't fit with the world we live in. I made this joke in uh, when I was preaching in in Elkhart about six years ago. I had just gone through, you know, divorce and all that, some some difficult things, and yet I was just so overwhelmed with how good God was to me during that process. There were some really painful parts of it and stuff, but but I was just overwhelmed with how good things had been for me in that process, the people he'd surround me with, so forth. And this is what started to strike me at that time. People would say, how are you doing? And I'd say, actually, I am doing great. And they would always like either grab my hand or touch my shoulder and go, really? (laughs) And I started thinking back and I was like, Nobody has ever said really if I say I'm down or I say I'm going through stuff. Nobody ever goes, really? We'll take that at face value. But if somebody says they're happy, really? Come on, you don't have to put on a show for me. And I started thinking, I don't have the guts to do this. But I wish I had the guts to do the exact opposite. 
that when somebody told me how bad it was, I wish I had the guts, I don't, to put my hand on their shoulder and go, really? You've got a great family. You've got a great home. You've got a job. You've got meals. Really, is it that bad? Is it really that bad? You have got so much going for you. Is it really that bad? Joy is outrageous because we accept negativity and sorrow without batting an eye. But people get suspicious of joyous people. My advice to you, make people suspicious. Smile, they will wonder what you are up to. Have that smile, have that joy. Have that something inside of you that is strength. And you know what? Even though it may be suspected at the beginning, even though people may wonder about, about it at the beginning, joy is contagious. Now, let me just tell you, we will meet those in our life who have taken the antibiotic and they don't catch the disease. They're not going to be joyous no matter what we do. But just keep sneezing on people until it catches. (laughs) Just keep doing it till somebody catches it. When I think of that scripture, I was gr- glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I, I really am challenged by that scripture because. I, in fact, I got really convicted about what do I look like when I'm going into church? Um, and I can make any excuse about it, you know, because I'm always thinking time is a big thing for me on Sunday morning, especially now. How do I get over to Barnstall? be there but then get here when I need to be here and did I get this set up right and did I get that set up right and did I change the batteries in the microphone well I know I did but did I do that in Barnstall or here now I got to change batteries both places and I'm going through all of that and I can get so distracted that I don't just allow myself to enjoy the fact that I get to do what I do Um, right before I came over tonight a friend and I were texting and He sent me a text and it was leave it all on the floor tonight, which for me is something we said to our players as coaches, leave it all on the floor, man. Just give it everything you've got tonight. And I know when I don't do that on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. I cheat people out of being infected with the virus of joy, if that makes sense. I cheat people out of the opportunity to be infected with something good. Because there's all kinds of nonsense that goes on every day. And I've got these couple of opportunities every week to infect people with something good. And if I don't give it, You can't share what you don't have. So if I don't have the disease, I can't spread it to others. I am hoping to infect everybody with joy. To at least expose them to the virus if they choose to accept it, fine. If they've built up an immunity to joy, there's not much I can do about that. But there are some people that need joy so desperately. And can I somehow get my eyes off myself for a second and infect them with what they need? Infect them with a smile. Infect them with a positive word. Infect them with something. And, you know, that's a huge challenge. To rejoice in going to the house of the Lord. I made the joke about the drug addicts. (coughs) Because. My son's experience is different than mine. Never. He doesn't mind going to church at all. He enjoys going to church. He likes going to church. 
it's as natural to him as breathing to go to church. And I say this as a compliment to you. It's because he is surrounded by better people than I was surrounded with. Plus, I'm a much better preacher than my dad. But, no, he's surrounded with better people than I was. When you come in here on Sunday morning, there's not a lot of people that look like they hate to be here. There are people that hate to miss. But there are not a lot of people who hate to be here. And I know that's contagious. I know that infects me. Because there are some times... Um, that my first preaching experience on Sunday mornings is not always easy. I, I'm still learning their culture and who they are and all of that. And it's tougher than going into people that you've known for five years and you've developed a relationship with five years and it's just more comfortable because they know me, I know them, and it's just easier. And there are times that I am just wiped out when I leave there. And it's not that they're doing anything bad. It's just I'm learning a lot of things, and they're learning a lot of things. And we're not down that road very far <laughs> yet. That I'm like, I don't know if I have the energy to do this Sunday morning. I don't know if I can do this one more time. And the second I walk in the door, somebody will be smiling. That is no exaggeration. Every week, and it's been different ones every week, but somebody is smiling or I hear somebody laughing. And you have no idea that at that moment you infect me with joy. I'm like, okay, it's going to be good. It's going to be fine. I'm going to be able to do it. Nobody really noticed this Sunday morning that I talked to because I asked two or three people. Um, I started coughing on the way over here from Bartles or from Barnstall, and I was like, I'm not worried about the sermon because I can stop, I can take a drink of water, or whatever. I'm worried about the song service. I don't know how that's going to go because my voice sounds like I'm going through puberty right now, is honestly what it sounded like. I don't think anybody even noticed that. But there were several times I clicked off the mic and it was just all them singing. And I mouthed the words like I knew what I was doing, but I didn't. Um, see, to me, that was people being glad to be in the house of the Lord. I wanted to sing. I just didn't have the voice at that particular time. And... Yet, when everybody else was singing, I still got to worship. I still got to be a part of that. I still got to experience that with people, even though I couldn't do it to the level I wanted to. That is contagious. That gets on people. That motivates me and inspires me when it's time for me to do what I need to do. And when I do what I am doing... I want to inspire other people. I just believe that joy is contagious. And finally, joy is courageous. By that I mean, joy is a tough choice. And there's two things about that. It can be tough. But it is a choice. I sometimes wonder when I uh, yeah. well with everybody for me I hate when I get angry about something that's a big thing that just bugs me I don't so much mind if I get sad about something because a lot of times that can come from a heart that you just feel so bad for a person. I don't mind getting sad because we are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But I hate when I know something just irritated me or I got angry about it. 
because I know that joy and anger cannot simultaneously exist in me. It just can't. If I'm angry, I'm not going to be joyous. If I'm irritated, I'm not going to be joyous. Oddly, I can be sad and joyous at the same time. Isn't that amazing? If you don't think about, if you don't understand that, I think I can explain it in a way that makes sense. When you're at the funeral of somebody you dearly, dearly love and are going to miss, joy and sadness exist at the exact same time. Because a story will come up in the funeral that will make you laugh. But you're still crying. Because you hate that they're gone. You know, you hate the thought of, man, next week I'm not going to see them. Or, you know, and yet at the same time, you're like, I'm so glad that I got to know. I am so glad they were in my life. And whether it was for, you know, 50 years or five years, you know, it's just I'm so glad I got to know that person. I'm so glad I got to be around them. So there is a joy and a sadness at the exact same time. But if you have ever been to the funeral, and I hope you haven't, um, unfortunately, I have three times been at a funeral where I had unresolved issues with the person that died. And it really hindered the grieving process. Because that irritation or unresolved thing or whatever it takes away your ability to be joyous or sad it takes away that ability because there's that thing that is in between you getting to the emotions that God himself gave us to deal with these situations God gave us joy God gave us sadness he did not give us unforgiveness he did not give us bitterness. He did not give us those things. And, and as I said, there's been three times in my life. Um, two of them actually have nothing to do with me. It was um, people that I love dearly that had been done wrong. And I, and I just couldn't get to that point of release yet. <laughs> one of those people I actually uh, through a series of events was able to visit uh, their cemetery plot and it was about three years later and I had prayed through a lot of those things and I had talked through a lot of those things and the people that had been hurt had talked with me and a lot of those things got resolved and uh so I went and people could think I'm mystical or crazy or whatever. But I told them at the grave, hey, it's good. And then I, I laughed and said, so I guess you're free to go now. I mean, this person's been gone three years. But for me, they weren't really released until that day. And it's silly. And I laugh because it's silly on one hand. And simultaneously, it was absolutely true. I had not let them go until that point. Until I could just say, okay, I'm resolved now. It's okay now. Now I can look back on that person. And what's funny is all three of those people, <laughs> uh, nobody would ever guess who they were. Because the issues truly did get resolved to the point that when I talk about them now, Nobody would ever know that there was ever anything there. But I knew it. See, it takes courage to say, I'm going to face whatever I have to face. I'm not going to fake joy. I'm going to face whatever I have to face to get there. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get there. And don't expect that that is always an instantaneous thing been a couple of times that God really has in a moment just done something for me emotionally that I cannot explain as anything other 
than just being spiritually overwhelmed and able to move on. There have been other times it has taken time to get to that point. The moment I face it is the moment that I say I'm choosing joy. And even though the resolution in my heart may not take place for a few years, the joy started the moment I faced it. The joy starts the moment you face it. That moment when we just say, this is not worth losing joy over. This is not worth it. There is a person that I love so deeply. And one of the greatest burdens I carry in my life is something happened when I think I was nine or ten years old. So it's been a few years back. Um, this person's maybe 20 years older than me. And I remember when it all went down and what all happened. I'm now 49, so we're talking like 40 years. Which would make them probably 69. 69 or 70. For 40 years, I have watched a really, really good person be miserable. And any time you talk to them, they will say, I just can't let that go. And I was thinking about the courage it takes to choose joy. Because I don't want to wait 40 years to get to the promised land. And I hope with all my heart you're not hearing that as any sort of judgment on them because I, I understand why it is difficult. I really, truly, honestly do. It's just, if it was that bad, it's better to let go of it because you've missed a lot of great things as a result. And I close by saying two things. One, it's easy to see that in other people. We've all met those people that have done that. I mean, there's people that go through our mind, not in like a harsh judgmental way, we just think, especially when it's people like, I just love them so much, and I wish they could let go because they're so miserable with this. But the second reason I say that is... <laughs> We can't make that choice for them, but we can for ourselves. Because you see, as much as I can see it in other people, and it's a lot more comfortable to talk about their stories <laughs> in this, there are times I've had to look in the mirror and literally say, so how long are you going to lose joy for this? God will tarry as long as you want to take. He's incredibly patient. So as long as I want to be bitter, as long as I want to be upset, as long as I want to hold that grudge, he'll just say, that's fine. I can't, I'm not going to make you do anything. But it breaks my heart, son. Because I have so much more for you than kind of works this way. I have a dog and I love to mess with my dog. When we start throwing his toy, he starts wrestling me for it. Because by the way, I know he's only like five pounds, but what you don't know is he is the toughest dog in the world. Just ask him. He is tough. But I can get him to drop anything instantaneously. 
All I got to do is pick up one of his other toys. And as soon as I pick it up, he drops it because he just assumes whatever I have is better than what he's holding on to. You know how convicting that is to me when I look at it spiritually? My dog has more sense than I do sometimes. He just assumes whatever the master has in his hand is better than what I'm fighting to hold on to. See, the courage for joy is me being courageous enough to drop what I have and trust that the master has something better in his hands. I'm going to let go of this and I want what the master has in his hands. So as we look through Philippians, I want us to uncover joy. The outrageousness of it, the contagiousness of it, and the courage of it. Because I believe it is life-changing. And we are already, I see it all the time, we are already down that path. But I just want us to take more leaps and steps into joy. Because I think it changes the world. I really do. That may be an overstatement, but I think it does. And I want us to be a part of doing that. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we just have to say, would you please restore the joy of salvation? Man, there's so much stuff that comes in that steals that and displaces that. Give us your joy. Help us to rejoice in you all the time, no matter what prison we're in. To let your joy be our strength. To rejoice that there are others with us on the journey. Give us a joy that's outrageous. Give us a joy that's contagious. And give us a joy that's courageous. And even as we're going to be with friends and family members in the coming days over the holiday season. We want there to be something different about us. We want there to be a joy that the world did not give to us and the world cannot take away. That somehow the people who see us will say, they're joyous and it doesn't even make sense. And I want to know why they are that way. (laughs) And then let us gladly tell them, It's because of the God we serve. I ask that you would do that for us. In Jesus name.